0: This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where each week we have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. Happy birthday, Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder podcast. This week, the podcast celebrates seven years, seven years. I launched this podcast in September of 2016 and seven years later, we are still here. You may remember that I launched this podcast under the name Business With Purpose. I rebranded about a year ago. And I just can't believe, honestly, that seven years have gone by and here we are. I first have to just thank you so much, the listener. Uh, If I didn't have any listeners, I probably would not have kept doing this for seven years. Um, But because of you and your support and sharing the show and your emails and DMs and comments, each week telling me how the show has impacted you or things that you've learned or connections you've made or books you've read or people you've started following or how you've grown in your walk with the Lord. However, this show has helped you in your own journey or just supported you in some way, or you just feel like you and I are friends. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. I could not do this show without you. I also, before we get into everything, I have to thank the team at third wheel media from my husband, who was my earliest podcast producer and editor and now is my number one fan, um, to Grace, who does my editing each week and makes me sound way better than I actually do to Kelly, to Ben, to Molly, to the other people who have helped support the show over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could not do this each week without you. Anyway, I'm celebrating 7 years. I'm so excited and here's to 7 more and beyond. Now onto this week's episode, I am so excited to welcome my very good friend, Ike Miller. Ike leads Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, a church he planted in 2018 along with his wife, who you probably recognize because she's been on the show a few times, Sharon Hottie Miller. He has written about the intersection of theology, mental health, and family of origin issues and outlets such as Christianity Today and Missio Alliance. After confronting the impact of his own childhood, including a family history of substance abuse disorders, Ike has developed a passion for helping others who grew up in difficult circumstances to better understand how those environments continue to impact them and their relationships now. His new book, Good Baggage, is out now. It came out yesterday. Congratulations, Ike. And this book is all about how difficult childhoods prepare you for healthy relationships. I was so excited to have Ike on the show. Like I said, I've known Ike for a few years. He is a great friend to our family. He's a great friend to me. And let me tell you, this conversation is powerful. We got real deep. We got into it. I'm telling you, we did not hold back when it comes to talking about childhood trauma, how we can move forward, why everything doesn't necessarily happen for a reason, and so much more. You're going to love this conversation. I highly suggest you go pick up Ike's book. If you are somebody who would say, you know what? I had a pretty difficult childhood. Let me tell you, this is a book that you need to get your hands on. Without further ado, on to my conversation with Ike Miller. Well, this is a very exciting day, everyone. <laughs> I have been. I've, this has been on my calendar since pretty much when you announced when the book was yes. coming out, and so I earmarked. I was like, "Well, I know who I'm going to have on when on <laughs> this date." Um, so, everybody, welcome Ike Miller to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Molly. I've been looking forward to it as well on my end. I know. Just I'm so excited. So,
0: for those that don't know, um, Ike and I have known each other for a few years mm-hmm. now uh, mm-hmm. because Ike's lovely and talented wife, Sharon Hottie Miller, (laughs) who has been on the show twice, um, is one of my nearest and dearest friends in the whole wide world. And so um, I just love the Miller family. Mm -hmm. And to get to have Ike on the show (laughs) is so fun. Yeah.
1: I got to catch up to Sharon. She's been on here a couple of times. I know.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, and she's part of a very exclusive club of people who have been on more than once. Um, We've been discussing, for those that remember, uh, we've been discussing like for people who come on the show multiple times like velvet jackets like mm, the five timers club on SNL. Yes. so i don't know if a velvet jacket is in velvet your jackets
1: around here like, is like in
0: your future or not i know
1: what to achieve now what am i going after <laughs> you, this is a goal you're
0: going after the velvet, <laughs> I need jacket. velvet jacket um i always just tell everybody who has been on the show more than once i'm like just imagine that i've shipped you a velvet jacket that. that has like a big uh like like patch on the lapel <laughs> it's a it's a whole thing is i don't know
1: a, is it is it your face <laughs> like Molly, yes, Car- character. Of it's Molly. me
0: with it's a actually a silhouette of me giving two thumbs yes. up. That's what it is. Um, okay, so I'm so excited. Um, Ike uh, again is a dear friend. Um, I love your family, love your children, love your church, and we're here in person today yes. too. So. For people that don't know you, let's dive in and yeah. have you give the Ike 101. Yeah.
1: Well, let me say first, we love you guys as well. <laughs> and you guys are an amazing gift to our family. For anybody that is part of a church, leading a church, having friends who do not go to your church is also a gift. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. um, we love you guys and grateful yeah. for you guys. But yeah, so I am Ike. I lead Bright City Church here in Durham, North Carolina with my wife, Sharon. Woo. And we planted about five years ago, which is almost... like
0: Well, actually, I yeah. think the day this comes out is the... Yeah the
1: Fifth birthday, yeah, right, right after that. So, the 30th is the fifth the birthday. 30th. Yeah, okay, so very I knew it cl- the, I'm impressed I knew it was, that you knew that. Close. I knew it was the end yeah. of September because exactly. I was there on yes. opening day. That's true, I was there. yes, yeah. Um, so we have three kids Isaac, Cohen, and Sadie. are 11, eight, and five. So and fun, so crazy, so hard to believe. Um, but yeah, so I'm from North Carolina, born and raised. This is home for me, and yeah. love love this area.
0: And you were born and raised in. Eden?
1: Apex. Apex. (laughs)
0: Not even close to Eden. Why did I I say Eden?
1: You know. know. (laughs) North Carolina. (laughs) But yes.
0: Like for people who are like Eden Apex, are those near each other? They are not. They is are Eden not on the coast. Eden is like north of Greensboro. Okay. Why did I gotcha. think you were from north of Greensboro?
1: Know. Four four letters. I don't. I don't Elon. Know. My mom is from Elon.
0: Elon. Okay. Yes. yes. Somewhere so in the redeemed. middle.
1: You are redeemed. <laughs>
0: I am redeemed. That your mom lives in Elon. Yes. Okay. Yes. I guys, you yes. know what? We're recording this. It's nine thirty in the morning, and hey,
1: I'm impressed. I'm it's impressed. fine.
0: Yeah. Um, And I woke up at like four this morning and could not go back to sleep. So those are the best. I've been up for a while. Yeah. Um, OK, so you uh, you again, you pastor an incredible church in, here in the area, which, by the way, if anybody is looking for a church in the Durham area, you should check out Bright City. They meet at the AMC Theater. And it's been such a joy to watch you and Sharon pastor this mm. church and lead this church and see how it's grown over the last yeah. five years. Because like I said, I was there on that first Sunday um, taking pictures. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think back to like where you guys started, where you are now, uh, is just incredible. Mm. And uh, you've birthed. Uh, and that was like the year that Sharon literally birthed oh, a book, a child so and a many church. Things.
1: Yes. Yes. Which was not wise. Yeah. Well, in my <laughs> so I had my dissertation published as a book. And, yes, that's and right. so the draft of the reworking of my dissertation was due <laughs> the day after we launched. Stop it. October 30th. I'm not joking. It how was, did bananas. I, how
0: did, was bananas. I did, okay, that part I did not know. <laughs> that is really intense. Yes. Really so. intense. Um. Okay, well, the reason that you are on the show is because you have a book that when this airs came out the day before, which, by mm-hmm. the way. Woo. <clears throat> <clears throat> Happy birthday. Yes. And okay, this is something that I do for your wife. I don't do it for really anyone else on this show. <laughs> and I think you know what is about to come is I sing happy birthday to your book. Oh. Um, I've done it for, <laughs> for Sharon's it. books. And it. she is, whenever she listens to this, she's going to be like, oh my gosh. And everybody listening is like, this is terrible. Why are you doing no, this? you right, ready? <laughs> happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you happy birthday dear good baggage <laughs> happy birthday to you Ooh. i know it's <laughs> guys and i actually can sing i you just know, choose not I mean, to those during... are the
1: things that I think you just bring Sharon so much joy. I know. You, just, know? <laughs> you know, I don't never even know how that originally started, but I think I because it did. She's oh, OK. Like, I so
0: I actually I did it at her launch party for okay. Nice. OK. When we did her launch party for Nice yes. at the Flourish Market, there was like 120 <laughs> people there. And she wanted me to like kind of emcee the night. And yes. she was I was like, is there anything in particular you want me to do? She was like, no, just put your flair on it. Yes. And so I made an entire room of 120 people sing happy birthday to her book. That's and right. she was like, this yes. is amazing. And yes. so then from there on out, I was like, well, I'm going to sing happy birthday to your book anytime no. I get a chance. There you go. Um, anyway, so <laughs> since you're a Miller, you know, that's what's going to happen. I get You get the same package. Yeah, it's a package (laughs) deal. So um, anyway, so congratulations on this book. And it's called Good Baggage. Fantastic cover. It's an amazing cover. Um, It says, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. And this is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your friend. This is a book that is so Mm. needed right now. Mm. It is so needed. And it is really interesting how, as this book has come out and is coming out, I have had an inordinate amount of conversations with people in the last six months about Mm. like this topic and about how trauma in childhood and um, difficult childhoods, difficult teenage years, how that shapes us as adults and how we get to a certain point in our life where we have a choice Mm -hmm. to make on how that can shape us and and which way we go, and um, I know that this is a nuanced conversation. There's a sure. lot of factors Absolutely. at play here, um, but I would love for you to tell your story mm-hmm. as to how you got to this place, um, what your you know the the fuel for mm-hmm. this book, and then really what ultimately led you to to decide to write about it.
1: Yeah, so kind of give a little backstory. My story is I grew up in a home where my father had an alcohol use disorder, and that led to Brokenness in our family my parents ultimately divorced and so I you know had that Impact on my life mm-hmm. from a very young age um, But honestly, it was probably when I got married that I really began to realize that there were long-term impacts mm-hmm. of growing up in that context Yeah, and you know, they were subtle here and there of realizing oh, man, that's a uh, a default thing that I do that probably I should do something about, or I'm, I'm a little defensive all the time, what's going on there. But really it was the pandemic that brought a lot of this to the surface. Interesting. And I had read about being an adult child and alcoholic and the ways that that had shaped me in particular ways. But, during the pandemic, it was just the season where, no matter what decisions I made as a leader, someone was going to be upset. Oh yeah. anybody that was making decisions for other people was in that yeah. situation, right? Where masking policies, in-person, indoor gatherings or not, you know, there were political Tensions all over the place, all of that. And so I was going to make somebody upset with my decision, regardless of what I decided. And for six months of that, it just wore me out. I just became completely exhausted and took some time off. And during that time was reading. More just like, why do I have such hard time when people are upset with me Mm. or why do I struggle to receive criticism well and all of those things. And one of the ideas that I was looking at was this idea of codependency, which is a common experience for people who grew up in a difficult context, whether it's alcoholism um, or being married to someone with a substance use disorder. Codependency is a common thing that people experience. And as I was le- reading about this, I was realizing we typically think of codependency as people pleasing, but really it's fundamentally about a loss of self. Interesting. That In that context, whatever we went through in some trauma, it forces us to be someone other than ourselves in order to survive, in order to appease someone else, to protect ourselves mentally, emotionally, or physically. And so you just kind of become whoever you think others need you to be right. because you've lost your sense of self, of who you are. And I realized in a season where I'm making decisions for other people, constantly trying to be who they want me to be and realizing I can't be the same person to two different people. Right. What I was trying to do was manage people's emotions and reactions with my words and behaviors. And that's just impossible. Right. And that's what led to my exhaustion is just trying to be who everybody else wanted me to be. Mm. Um, And so that kind of awakened me again to, man, there's some more work to be done here. Right. But I also discovered in that process that there were things that actually prepared me for good leadership because of the childhood I had. And in particular, you know, when you grow up in a context where someone has a substance use disorder or there's abuse, you are constantly going into rooms reading people and you're trying to discern, okay, what's the emotional climate of this room? How's everybody feeling? What's the body language? Am I safe? Do I need to find a way out of here? And so I realized that's something I still take into every room I go in So interesting is like, what's the emotional climate of this room and realizing that's a gift, like that's a tool that you can use to lead people, to build relationships, to empathize with people. And so I began to realize, okay, there's also some good stuff that came out of this. And as I had more of those conversations and kind of like you said, like realizing, okay, this isn't just my story. Mm -hmm. This is other people's story. I felt like, okay, there's, there's something to write about here. Okay.
0: There's so much to unpack there. Yeah. and So many things that I want to say. Um, But I would love for you to just really quickly, because this was another conversation I had with somebody, yeah. is unpacking the working definition of codependency. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think people have different definitions. Mm-hmm. And there's, and it's kind of a term that in the last couple of years, gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, that person's codependent or Mm -hmm. I'm codependent or Mm -hmm. he's codependent or my parents were codependent or whatever it is. And it's everyone seems to have a different definition as to what that is. So could you give us your definition and how you see that actually playing out for somebody that's maybe like, I have no idea what that means. Like, Please explain this to
1: me. Yeah, so there's many definitions, you're right. I think it's important to distinguish between the definition of codependency and the symptoms of codependency. Mm. So for example, when somebody says they're codependent, usually what they mean in a general sense is they uh, seek other people's approval, they um, don't f- seem to have boundaries for themselves. Right. They are a people pleaser, which are all symptoms of what I think is the deeper issue. T.N. Dayton wrote a book called Emotional Sobriety and his definition was codependency is a trauma related loss of self. Yeah, And that helps to kind of narrow, okay, this is kind of the source of it and it has all of these implications. And so the reason that we see this often, or at least initially it started for, you know, a spouse of an alcoholic um, was because, In that relationship, you have kind of lost who you are in the pressure to be who the alcoholic needed you to be or wanted you to be. And so in a sense, you participate in their dependence with them. And so you're codependent. But I think that trauma-related loss of self is kind of at the heart of it.
0: Oh, that's really, I think that's a great definition. I think that that helps because I think that that when you say trauma-related loss of self, Mm -hmm. that can play out so differently in different types of situations because trauma varies I mean you're various I mean there can be everything from trauma from a car accident Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. trauma from you know abuse in the home or trauma Mm -hmm. from death or trauma from I mean there's all kinds of things that can create that sense of codependency in in individuals okay well I'm I love the way that you talked about how you have to and I know that this is something you you talk about a lot in the book and that's Mm -hmm. kind of this idea of sorting through your baggage and And how you identify, okay, this is maybe some bad baggage or some (laughs) not so great baggage um, that I have brought into these relationships. And then how you let those things go versus like what you said of that example of being able to read the room, being able to be a little bit more empathetic, like that is a gift. And being able to say like, hey, you know, the temperature in this room is a little little thick, right. uh, like or, or a little hot. Uh, yeah. And so how can I be um, maybe a, 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 a bit of a yeah. fan to yeah. cool it down a little bit in here or mm-hmm. whatever it is um, to be able to use that gift for good? So yeah. what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So a couple of things I'll say. The first one is. I make a distinction in the book between our difficult childhoods preparing us for healthy relationships and realizing those healthy relationships and realizing the good baggage. And I think it's important because a lot of the things that are functioning in us as adults in themselves are not good. Right. But this book is really about how do we learn to leverage those things, which means there's some things we've got to disarm in ourselves, right. some things that are working below the surface that we've got to be able to identify and disarm. At the same time, all of the baggage or a lot of the baggage that we carry into adulthood at some point in our childhood actually helped to protect us. It was a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so an important part of this for me has been not to shame myself for having developed some of these coping mechanisms because my younger self did some hard work to Protect me to keep me safe. Almost like a fight or flight. Yeah, absolutely. And so, one, just being clear, like this stuff in itself isn't good in the sense that it just automatically works to the good of our relationships. Um, A lot of these are what uh, one person called outgrown coping mechanisms, Mm. meaning they served a purpose at some point, but now they've outgrown their purpose. And so when it comes to the good baggage, then it's kind of a question of, for example, with being able to go into a room and read a room that can work for good or that can work for ill. And Mm. the way that it worked for ill for me was in that season where I'm trying to make decisions to and trying to make everybody happy is you can fall into mind reading. Oh, yeah. And so you're like, okay, I see the look on your face. I sense some like disappointment with me. And so I need to change my position on this. I need to figure out how to make you happy so I can turn that frown upside down. Yeah. You know, but what you're doing there is you're assuming that what I'm reading off of your face is actually what you're thinking. Right. And so you end up drawing all kinds of wrong conclusions. You carry responsibility for things that aren't yours to carry. So, you know, somebody comes into church on Sunday morning, for example, and they look upset and because they're looking in my way when they look upset, I just assume, well, they're upset with me.
0: Yeah. It's my fault. I
1: need to fix it. Yeah. In reality, it maybe has nothing to do with me. Probably has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, And so a part of it has been saying, okay, how do you take that Ability to read people, to read emotions, put some boundaries around it so that it's not just you're constantly assuming this is mine to fix, but then figuring out in what context can I use that. Mm. And so, for example, for me, one of the ways that I will use these things is if I'm in a meeting and it's just clear that somebody is becoming emotional or like something's getting really hard for somebody to be able to step back and say either, hey, I think we need to take a break and just kind of like chill out for a little bit. Or I can go to that person directly and just say, hey, I noticed during our meeting you had a hard time with X, Y, or Z. Do you want to talk more about it? And it just builds the relationship on your team to be able to say, this isn't just about what you can produce for me as your boss, but that I care for you personally. And so learning to leverage those things.
0: Yeah. Well, I love the way that you said, like how so often we will jump to conclusions mm-hmm. and we make it uh, we we spiral in our mind oh, yeah. to like all it's all. May I suggest a book called Free of Me? Mm. Um, why Life is Better When It's Not About <laughs> not You? About it's you. by this great author <laughs> named Sharon Hottie Miller. Um but you're so right. like i I do that. And I think too. It, and I think it can also stem from different personality types sure. as well. Um, whereas, you know, my husband, who is very different from me, uh, <laughs> literally never does that. And he just cannot <laughs> just even from it. remotely yes. relate yes. in any way, shape or yes. form um, yeah. where the, the mental spiral like that's just not his his thing yeah. at all and where that is much more my thing. <laughs> but I've learned in the last couple of years and I'd be really interested like to kind of think about, hey, you know, because I mean, my childhood trauma looks different than your sure, childhood trauma, sure. but there's still a lot of childhood trauma there. And I yeah. almost wonder if if some of that is related to caring for an ill parent Mm -hmm. for many, many years and Mm -hmm. like kind of managing the emotions of everybody around me a lot, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, here we are, we're having a therapy session right here, Ike.
1: I'm all for it. Um, We're getting really deep. Um, Yeah.
0: But, you know, I think that that Mm -hmm. is, there's a lot of validity to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's interesting because um, like I had mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, this whole topic has come up a lot yeah. in the last couple of uh, months. And it and I don't really, and I wonder, part of me, like, I just wonder if part of it is because we're kind of, I don't want to say like coming out of the pandemic, but yeah, like sure, b- sure. it's kind of true. Yeah. And is that yeah. because the pandemic mm-hmm. was so revealing right. for so many of us, it was just, it it amplified mm-hmm. issues that were simmering beneath the surface. Yes. And so I think people are now starting to process Mm -hmm. those things. And it's been really interesting because I've had some conversations with people in my life who have gone one of two ways. and. One one way has been a healthy processing mm-hmm. of it, and a healthy processing of, hey, this thing that happened in my childhood was really difficult, yeah. or, um, you know, I had this pretty significant trauma in my teen years, but I'm still today walking with Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus has really been the thing. Jesus and therapy, you know, those, <laughs> those two things in, together, where there's, they work together. Yeah, they work together. <laughs> um, you know, have really helped me to to strengthen my faith have helped me to strengthen my relationships and I feel like I'm in a good place
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: and then I also know some people who have not gone that way and have walked away from the church completely, Mm -hmm. Um, whether they're, uh, what's the word? Um, What's the, it's the deconstructing. Deconstructing, Oh my uh gosh, I could not recall the word. Yeah, like they're deconstructing Uh or they're just, they've they've said no to faith altogether. And it's been really interesting to see the difference between Mm -hmm. the two. And a lot of times, like the walking away from the church, the walking away from faith altogether, the walking away from relationships or whatever it is the source of that is often said, well, I'm working through mm-hmm. my childhood trauma mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and I want to say, again, I, I'm making some generalizations sure. here. And so I understand that these are nuanced conversations mm-hmm. and everybody's situation looks different. Yeah, But I would say that of the, not, I'm not talking about one or two people here. I'm talking about multiple people that mm-hmm. I know personally or went to college with or mm-hmm. things like that that have walked through these two different scenarios. And it is really interesting to just kind of see how those things play out. Yeah. Um, that's so difficult, I think, for the person that's both in it and then also the people around them that are supporting and yeah. love those people. And so I, I set all that up to say that I, 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 I'm kind of curious, like for you, how what would you say to somebody who is kind of that maybe support person or on the outside Mm -hmm. looking in towards somebody who might be dealing with this of how you could best like what are some of the things that sharon did to support you Mm -hmm. during that time i don't know i'm just i'm curious yeah
1: so i think you know the thing with the pandemic you know and saying like you're hesitant to say we're coming out of the pandemic but at the same time the there is a way in which the pandemic acted as kind of a, a vice grip that just like Ooh. put pressure on us right. and forced a lot of our kind of junk to the surface in a way that we could no longer deny it. And it was erupting into our lives in ways that we could not ignore. <laughs> and so that's a part of why I wrote this book was realizing like... You can pretend like this stuff isn't there. You can bury it, but it doesn't die. Right. And so we have to figure out ways to deal with it and walk through it. And so all that to say, you know, there's a couple of things that I would say just in general about kind of what you've talked about between kind of the two paths that people take on this. One thing is... I think for those that have felt a need to go outside of the church in order to process through these things, a part of that is because we haven't done a good job of creating space in our theology Ooh. for the impact of trauma on us. And what I mean by that is we talk through things like sin as the outworking of my disobedience to God. And so whenever I am acting out in a way, whether it is through substance use or through um a need for affirmation through a certain relationship or whatever it may be, our only label for that is sin. Mm. And we don't have a category that says, you know, yes, some of the sin that I commit is out of disobedience. But there's also sin that I commit out of the brokenness done to me, Mm. that I've been hurt by other people. And so some of this is not so much something that, quote, needs to be punished in terms of our theology, but we need to develop a more robust theology of some of the things that are broken in me need healing. Mm. And so how do we create space in our theology, both of salvation, of our Christology, of what Christ accomplished for us? is not just about he died in our place so that we wouldn't be punished, but he's the great physician who does the healing of our brokenness. And so we need to create more space in the church just for being able to say that not all sin is just strictly about my sheer disobedience to God, but that as a broken human being, I'm acting out of that because of brokenness that was done to me. So I think that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is we also don't have a great theology around redemption. And what I mean by that is when it comes to our adult, you know, our childhood trauma and impact, the best that a lot of us can do on the just off the cuff is well, there's there's a reason that this happened. And I get like the impulse to do that, but there's a couple of things. One, what that does is that can make God the author of all kinds of horrific things, yeah, awful things, incest, abuse, um, all kinds of things. But the other thing that that does is we don't think through what that says about God in the sense that like, let's say, for example, molly i um we went to the lake sometime and we're on the lake we're on a boat and i throw you off of the boat right and then i jump in the water and i save you and pull you back on the boat that's kind of the way that we say like there's a reason this happened. It's God caused this to happen, but then God was there to rescue you. And that's a sham kind of redemption. Mm. Instead of saying like, yes, what happened to you was evil and bad and should not have happened. But God is always in the work of taking broken things and healing them. He's always in the work of taking painful things and bringing life out of them. Mm. And so instead of it being, okay, in order for me to make sense of this, I have to explain why God caused this to happen or had this happen. Instead being able to say, our creation, is broken and yet God is always working towards healing. And so creating some space in our theology for that I think has been really important.
0: That was like a whole sermon right there in <laughs> that. Uh, I really hope you do a sermon on that because I was just, uh, that was so, yes, I it's so Great when we name these things like we have because the reality is 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 we have a poor theology of a lot of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I had a conversation on the podcast with Daniel Grothy Mm -hmm, a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and he was talking about like how we have a poor theology of suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think we have a poor theology of suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think that that relates to having a poor theology of trauma, a mm-hmm. poor theology of redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's uh, I think of that book by Kate Bowler. Everything yeah, happens for absolutely. a reason and other yeah. lies I've loved. Yeah. Um and how Christians love to, and I've been guilty of this, so I'm sure. I'm calling oh, myself out, yeah, of of throwing around Romans eight twenty eight. But for all things, we know that all <laughs> things work together for the good of those mm-hmm, who love God, mm-hmm. who are called according to His purpose, um, and how that is somehow God again causing this trauma in our lives and then also being the redemption i love that image of of god being like of you of god being the one that (laughs) throws you into the water and then also saves you yeah um I'm so curious. I want to unpack that a little sure. bit more because it is such a I think it's something that really deserves its its own little snippet mm-hmm. because I think that um it is so pervasive. And so how do we start to think about when when we go through things um and I will say and I'm coming from experience here. So because you know, as I've shared ad nauseum on this show, um, but for anybody who might be new, um, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I didn't come to faith until I was 25, and I was in a season of, uh, let's just say, rock bottom mm-hmm. brokenness, mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a series of things that had kind of come to this powder keg mm-hmm. of, you know, after the death of my mother and some pretty mm-hmm. toxic relationships and then mm-hmm. getting myself into financial debt debt and -hmm. then moving to a state where I didn't know anybody and then, you know, losing jobs. I mean, it's just I mean, it was just it was a lot. There was a lot happening um, that ended me up in that in that place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I heard the gospel for the very first time where I had it it had really clicked for me what the gospel was. And that is that there's this uh, that God came to earth in the flesh Mm -hmm. um, in the form of of Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived a perfect Sinless life, um, so that I could have uh, life with him forever. And that, you know, he came and he suffered and he died on a cross and he raised three days later. And I mean, it just, and like, I really began to learn about that and go, Oh, wait, what? For real? Like this is a re- this is a real thing? Like this mm. is undeniable. And then of course, like the researcher in me started like doing all the research <laughs> on like, what is historical accuracy of yes. Jesus? I mean, it just and I was just, I, I couldn't refute it anymore yeah. and I couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so that began a, you know, actually, funny enough, on the day that this comes out, uh, that will be 13 years from the wow. first time I that to the day that I stepped in the doors of wow. a church. Wow. And so in walking with Jesus for the past 13 years it's been a slow very painful process <laughs> of sanctification mm-hmm. it's been a slow very painful process of unpacking things mm-hmm. and and it's been a you know up and down journey where um I realized in about 2018 when um we had lost our sons I had never dealt with the death of my mother mm. And I had never processed that trauma and I had mm. never gone to therapy. I did not go to therapy until 2018. Mm. That was the very first time mm-hmm. I ever talked to a therapist. Mm. And I remember, <laughs> and I thought I was going to process the death of some babies. And <laughs> uh, she, we get into that first session, we start talking about things. She goes, Okay, so it seems like we need to go back a little yeah. bit. I was like, Yeah, maybe there's yeah, some maybe. things we might, <laughs> might need to be unpacking here. Um, and so I can laugh about it now. Yeah, At the right, time, yeah. it was not very funny. But no. now looking back, I'm like, oh, I know. Okay. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So anyway, so I say all that to say is, um, you know, I've worked through this myself and I've had to I, I've really wrestled with those questions of like, well, why did this happen? Yeah. And why did I go through these things? Why did my mom suffer so much? And why did I lose these babies and all these different things? And and I will say, like, I feel very confidently now um, at where I am currently, that I have the benefit of hindsight, Mm -hmm. that I can see how God was working all things together for good. But I don't blame God for Mm -hmm. those things, Mm -hmm. but I can see how he redeemed those things and how he strengthened my faith, how he um, called me to ministry, how he um, equipped me for helping others mm-hmm. walk through these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I kind of, I, I I share that story because yeah. I think it's an important piece of just understanding that I get this because yeah. this is partly my yeah, story as well. Sure. Um, so how do we, for somebody who has maybe had Rome, a Romans 828 thrown at them mm-hmm. during a mm-hmm. really painful time of their life or yeah. you know when they're unpacking some of that baggage from childhood mm-hmm. and they're going, oh, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, And somebody going, well, you know, God, you know, saying it like God threw you out of the boat, but he's there to catch you. <laughs> and you're just going,
1: what? That's not helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's not helpful. So
0: how, what would, how do you,
1: I think that. yeah so there's a couple things i think one you know you talk about kind of how easy it is to slip into like we just throw out these like cliches <laughs> yeah. and that kind of thing and i honestly think i think one it comes from our own fear of awkwardness mm-hmm. like what do i say in this moment right like what else can i say you know um when we lose a loved one or somebody loses a loved one we're like well god just need another angel god just need
0: another yeah. if i ever <laughs> so help me <laughs> Uh, Yeah, anyway,
1: sorry. So I think there's that fear of like, I don't know what else to say. But I think there's this other part of it that I think we've, within the (laughs) church, we've got to deal with, which is in these moments, we feel this need to jump to defend God. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. Like, obviously, apologetics, those kinds of things are important. But there are times where we need to be okay with people being angry at God being uncomfortable with God having questions about God because that's the only way they're going to get to some genuine answers Mm -hmm. and when we're standing outside of that and we're just throwing like cliche kind of explanations at that because we're afraid what if they ultimately don't follow God anymore? What if they walk away from God? We may be actually short circuiting or even like inhibiting a process of their faith being transformed by this situation or this Mm. experience. Um, And so I think just our insecurity of like people drawing the wrong conclusions about God can drive us to do some things that have an unintended effect, which is, well, Christianity just has these cliche answers to everything. Mm. So I want to name that, but I think You know, being on the inside of an experience and somebody throws something at us like that, I think some of it is being able to like recognize that just because someone has an insufficient answer for that doesn't mean that there isn't a good answer. It just may mean we've got to accept that this is going to take some time for us to come to conclusions on. I think the other piece of it is when we're standing in a position of, I need to know why this happened before I can move forward. I understand that impulse. At the same time, that's just not the way life works. Like life continues to move forward. And I think that's where we get stuck oftentimes is in that place of, I can't move forward on anything until I get an answer for this. Right. And I think in my own journey with thinking through my father, being an alcoholic and my parents being divorced, I had to reach a point where I could say, okay, I don't know that I can come to an answer of like, why did God let this happen? Or why didn't I have a better like childhood? All I can think through is where do I take it from here? Mm. Do I allow it to be something that from here on has negative impact on my relationships because I've refused to to deal with the impact of it or do I figure out ways that God can use this and ways that I can learn from this to have a different kind of relationship to my wife and to my children and so I think being able to say okay I can move forward without understanding all of the reasons why or whether god's responsible for this or not or whether this was a part of my sanctification process or just a part of being a part of a broken creation being able to look forward because for many of us we will and this is not a judgment i want this to be clear this is not a judgment this is a a question i had to ask myself which was do i allow the negative things that happened in my childhood to also ruin the things that I do as an adult in my relationships or even though I'm not responsible for what happened will I take responsibility for the impact and address where it goes from here so I think that's kind of a bit of it for me is that ability to say I don't know that I can explain all of why it happened, but where do I want to go from here? What kind of life do I want from here? Mm. That kind of thing.
0: That is so good. And I really love that you asked yourself that question because I think that there's another point here. And again, I I feel like I have to give these caveats of like, (laughs) I understand that this is nuanced, okay? So save your emails. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But at some point, because I do think that there are people... And that it is very common to use it as an excuse Mm. to use difficult Mm -hmm. childhoods, trauma as an excuse to be selfish, Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. let's just call it out, like to treat other people like crap Mm -hmm. again. And I'm not negating or like saying that those experiences as a child were terrible. Like, I'm yeah. not saying that those things weren't terrible. They were. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, we have to look inward within right. ourselves and say, what is within my control? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the thing that I can do to be a better mother, wife, husband, father, friend, mm-hmm. um, you know, colleague, whatever it, yeah. boss, um, whatever it is moving forward. And again, I, I understand that there's nuance here, but I yeah. I will say I see it often where it's just it becomes almost a trendy excuse mm-hmm. to just become disenfranchised with anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that. There's some conviction there that needs to happen where Mm -hmm. somebody where I have felt that before, too, where I'm am I using this as an excuse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to, like, get what I want or to, like, you know, be my best self or whatever it is. You know what I mean? At the expense of others around me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's an important self-reflection that has to happen
1: yeah well and i think a part of that just the whole faith conversation aside there has to be a moment where you say regardless of what happened in my childhood and aside from how i want to treat other people or feel like treating other people am i happy Mm. Am I living the life that I want to live? Am right. I am I having the kind of fulfilling relationships that I want? Because I think when we find ourselves in a place where we're irritable with everybody, we're frustrated, we need our space, you know, we can use boundaries as an excuse, mm. like whatever it may be, I think we've still got to ask, is this who I want to be? Mm-hmm. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, when we're in a place where like we are cutting everybody off from us, we're probably not also feeling a lot of fulfillment in ourselves. And so I think what I often say is until it gets more painful to stay the same than it is to change, we're not going to (laughs) change. And so being able to be honest with ourselves and say, me not changing is actually painful. Like it's hurting myself. Right. And so... Even if I think for some of us, it's like, I'm not going to do this work because somebody else did this to me. And we think we're punishing them by not doing this work. We think we're punishing a parent. We think we're punishing, you know, a spouse or something like that. But really, we're just hurting ourselves. Right. And so at the very least, to be able to do this work to say like, OK, who do I want to be and how do I be that person? And I think out of that, there does come a lot of that work of of sanctification and of being able to ask, OK, who does God want me to be and how do I need to be changed in, in those ways? And so I think that alone, regardless of faith, regardless of like, you know, how others focus you think you should be, there's the place for that question. of, Yeah. Like, if I don't operate in relationships in a healthy way, I'm not going to be happy. Right. It's going to affect me. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think about even on like a microcosm level, like I think about there are times where I'm, you know, uh, let's I realize this is going to come as a shock to everyone. Um, I am not a perfect parent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I realize
1: everybody's none like, of what? none what? of us are <laughs> um,
0: where there are times where uh, I mean, it was like within sometime within the last couple of weeks where I was just. I let's just be, honest, I was stressed out. I yeah. was just stressed oh, yes. out. I felt like I was being pulled in 17 different directions, um, whether it was church stuff or book mm-hmm. stuff or podcast stuff or family stuff or just a variety of things. I just felt like I was and I was just Tired. Yeah. I was tired. I was irritable. And I was frustrated. And I remember there was a moment where like my kids came in my office and I was <laughs> just and they wanted to play Yahtzee for the hundred and fiftieth time. And I just was like no, I don't want to play Yahtzee right now. (laughs) And like kind of snapped at them and like they both just like slinked back and I just was Mm like, I just screwed up big time. So then you have to like put your tail between your legs (laughs) and like go back out there to your kids and be like,
1: This wasn't about you. Mommy's really sorry. (laughs)
0: Um, But I would say because I'm in a healthier place now, I can recognize those moments where I go, that was not my best moment. Mm -hmm. And I can go back out there and I can sit my kids down and be like, hey, guys, mom screwed up. Mm -hmm. Like, that was not what I should have done. You did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in my own place. And just helping them say like, and also I think it's healthy to on their level explain like, I'm really overwhelmed right now. Yeah. And right. I um I've just got a lot on my plate emotionally. This has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. You asked you did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And and like and mom's really tired and I don't have the energy to play Yahtzee today. Yeah. But can we have a hug and right. maybe a dance party real quick and like reset? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And to just and and then to it gives me the opportunity too to say. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Mm -hmm. And my kids, of course, every time we're like, of course, mommy, like we love you. And we give it, we give hugs, we have a dance party and we reset. Um, And so I think that that's a healthy way to to help your kids see that like, it's not perfect all the time. Here's how we handle things. And Mm -hmm. sometimes mom and dad's grew up and like, it gives us an opportunity to apologize and it teaches them asking for forgiveness, which is so key because Many of us didn't see that growing yeah. up and never saw our parents apologize mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or ask for forgiveness or right. anything like that. And so it was always our fault, That's right. um, which that that is super key.
1: Yes, yes. Super key. Yeah, you know, there's so many thoughts around that. Um, one that is really was a, a major relief for me in talking with a therapist about these kinds of things, which is there i think when you've been through a difficult childhood of any sort there the impulse can be okay how do i do this perfectly mm-hmm. or how do i do this better and when you find yourself in those moments where you're like man i messed that up you just beat yourself up and you're like man i'm no different than my mom or mm-hmm. my dad you know and hearing this friend of mine communicate that you know honestly more important than getting it right every time is doing the work to repair the relationship right and for a lot of the reasons you just said of, of rebuilding the relationship teaching them how to do that but honestly the biggest part of that i think is being able to communicate that the reason i responded that way was because of how i'm feeling mm-hmm. not because of what you did And a part of that is because kids, I I say this on every conversation, anybody that's listened to more than one is like, I've heard you say this a thousand times. Kids operate with a sense that they are omnipotent, meaning they don't have a sense for like your rest of your world and things that are going on.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And so they're just thinking, I did this and mommy responded this way. And so therefore how she responded is my fault. I have control over that. And so next time I just need to ask it a different way or not ask it at all without any awareness of, oh, maybe mommy was overwhelmed. Maybe she's exhausted. Maybe she's stressed out. And so for us to be able to articulate that background to it takes them out of the place of, of drawing the conclusion of mommy got upset. Therefore I'm bad. Yeah. Or mommy was happy. Therefore I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. those are those are kind of some of the categories that they work in, um, and so all that to say, the grace of being able to say more important than getting it perfect is being able to repair. Right. The other thing I wanted to say is a part of us doing things differently is, as parents in particular, we are going to default to what we saw. Like even if we hated it as kids and we're so like, even if we felt so degraded or disrespected or whatever, whatever it was, we will default to what we saw. Unless we have practiced something different and intentionally done that. And so when we default to that, the point in that moment is not to beat ourselves up, but to take note of that and say, okay, this is something I want to do differently. What do I want that to look like? And then you're going to go through the most frustrating part of this process, which is (laughs) noting yourself doing it in the moment where you're like, Okay, last time I did this, I realized I don't want to do this anymore. But here I am in the middle of it realizing I just did it again. But to be able to say, okay, that's not failure, that's progress. Yeah. Because last time you didn't notice until after the fact. This time you noticed in the midst of it. Right. Next time or in 10 times, you'll begin to identify what does it feel like? Like what what do I feel like when I'm about to respond that way? And then you can actually change course before that happens. Yeah, And so just being able to say, okay, this is not going to change overnight. It's not going to change just because you said, I don't want to do this the same way. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a process. Yeah.
0: Because whenever we're in a moment of stress and oh, yeah. when we I mean, that is when that stuff comes out. Yeah. And there are definitely times where I, it's funny because I was never, this is real me being real honest and confessing this stuff here. <laughs> I was never like a, I've never been an angry person. Uh-huh. I realize that's also shocking to people. Like, I've never <laughs> been a yeller. Like, I just, it's just never me until parenting. Oh, yeah. Parenting will it bring it yes. out of you. Yes. And I remember, like, the first time I ever yelled at Lily, I was like, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? <laughs> and it was that moment of, and I think it was something like, hey, can you get your shoes? Can you get your shoes? Yeah. Can you get your shoes? And then it's, can you get your shoes? Yeah, you yeah, know? And yeah. And they're like, why didn't you ask nicely the first time? And you're like.
1: <laughs> I did 50 times. I
0: did 50 <laughs> times. Like, what do you mean? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So yeah, you have those moments or there is the moment where the, the, the kid is crying, And you just have, um, and I've told this story on the podcast before too, like I remember there was a a stage pretty early on, Lily was a baby and you know, we were, it was a sleepless night. She was just, it was just one of those (laughs) nights where she just screamed. Uh, Nursing didn't help. Rocking didn't help. Nothing. nothing. I mean, it was just hours and hours of screaming. And I had finally gotten to a point where I was like, I had to tap out. I handed her over to John. I think it was like three in the morning. I don't know. We're both exhausted and I remember like I look at him and he's trying to get her to and he finally is like why won't you stop screaming <laughs> and I was like she's a baby like why are you yelling at a baby like that's not helping the situation so but I mean it's like yeah. it's three in the morning you're tired you're oh, irrational man. and I just remember being like give me the child like yes. you go back to bed like yes. this isn't fixing oh, those anything are so tense moments. oh my gosh oh, my yeah gosh. and every parent listening is like oh yeah I oh yeah been yep. right there Um. and it's but it's it's recognizing and then I remember later, like once things cooled called cooled down, we were both like, okay, so how do we prevent that from happening again? You know, and realizing, okay, maybe dealing with it and trying to communicate at three in the morning. Not the answer. Right. When we've both had no sleep, no sleep, um, for months. Maybe. Yeah, and we also like at the time. I look back to this like no wonder we weren't sleeping. Like we had a double bed, um, and we had two dogs who slept in the bed with nice. us. And I and my husband is like not a small right. person. Like he's yeah. six. 263. Yeah. Uh, it just was. I look back, I'm like, yeah, we had no room. Yeah. There was no room for anything. Lots of things
1: contributing to this. <laughs> Lots of challenge. things
0: contributing to this. <laughs> we lived in a, um, a a little house that was like a Cape Cod style, uh-huh. and um, the AC like barely worked upstairs. And oh. so, you know, Lily was born in August, and so it was just always oh. a million degrees upstairs. So you're hot, you're tired, you're anyway. Oh, yeah. All the things. So it, all that to say is, yeah, you have to then get to the point where you're recognizing it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, and then later, again, being able to have those conversations outside of the moment and think about, okay, what are some of the tools that I can mm-hmm. use to do this differently next time? And yeah. um, and I mean, I've talked with my kids about that too, because I've seen like some, and kids, kids have sometimes often very little impulse control. And then sometimes, sure. you know, something happens and then brother punches sister or sister (laughs) kicks brother back and it's just going, okay, how could we next time deal with this? But I loved what you brought up about kids are not omnipotent. They don't see you outside of being mom or dad. And so interesting because I just had this conversation with somebody where I was like, at what age, because I'd asked my friend this, I said, at what age did you see your parents as more than just your parents, but like as whole
1: mm-hmm. complete human mm-hmm.
0: beings with a life. Like and they ex- have a life
1: beyond just my parent. Like right. They have a their own name. Like they have and- their own
0: name <laughs> and friends yeah. and jobs and like a history and yeah. a life. Like, you know, my dad was 41 when I was born. My uh-huh. mom was 38, uh-huh. um, almost 39. Yeah. And so like my parents had lived a lot of life before i was born and so um it's it's such a wild thought (laughs) where you just and of course like my dad uh i i really want to have like a whole podcast series where i just have my dad on the show and he just tells wild stories because my dad (laughs) i mean he was like he was born the day before d-day oh wow like june 5th 1944 and um you know he Went to college in the early 60s. He was mm-hmm. in a fraternity. Like, let's just say the guy has stories. Yes. There's yes. a lot of things. Yes. But it wasn't until, I'm going to be totally honest, really within the last two or three years where he and I have had some conversations that really should have happened a long time ago, mm-hmm. where I began to see, like when my mom died, like just the way that he handled things at the time where I put a lot of blame on him that was not his fault. Mm-hmm. And I look back to see, you know what? He was his own person mm-hmm. grieving mm-hmm. the death of his wife. Mm-hmm. And he could not in that moment think about the fact that, oh, he also had a daughter who was mourning her mother. Yeah. And so I've had to then be like, oh, wow. And I so really separating mm-hmm. dad, my dad to yeah. Tom Buckley mm-hmm. <laughs> and being, you know, he is Tom Buckley, his own human being, yeah. his own person, his own life. Um, and that's a like, it was interesting. I was like, wow, I was like 36 when this really occurred to me. And <laughs> I kind of like apologizing, I'm like, sorry, dad. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's really common. And yeah. so I was talking with my, with my friend about this, like, at what age do you then see your parents as like, this human being that's Mm -hmm. not just mom that doesn't have just have the title mom and dad i'm curious what what was that answer for you
1: so yeah so i'm in a similar boat my dad was 43 when i was born yeah and so and he traveled all over the world yeah and yet did not travel internationally i don't think after i was born or maybe like once after i was Hmm. born and so learning about like he spent a lot of time in venezuela and like he spent a lot of time in germany and these different places and you're like wait, when was this?
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> when did
1: this happen? Yeah. So I totally get that. Yeah. And I think also adding the dynamic of my father having an alcohol use disorder, I, for a long time, and I actually write about this in the book, oversimplified that in if my dad just loved me, enough then he would stop drinking Mm. and discounting all of his own childhood experiences the impact of his you know growing up the traumas that he's experienced and realizing it's so much more complicated than that and i need to be able to at least give him that like benefit of the doubt and that grace Um, and so all that to say i think i think i was probably 19 yeah. 20 um and and really one of the things that woke me up to it is i i when i was in college i wrote a letter to my dad mm. and just kind of communicated my heart around a lot of like things i wish that i would see him do and things that i wish would be different and that he would change and long story short him kind of communicating back that he had his kind of side of the story so to speak like with my parents marriage and and so I think that was kind of one of those moments where you're like, gosh, one, this is much more complicated than I ever imagined. But right. also, that's just something I can't change mm-hmm. is what they've been through and mm-hmm. how that's led to who they are. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think for everybody, it's different yeah. based on their experience. Brain chemistry, I'm sure, plays a part of that. Yeah. Um, brain development, our own mental and emotional Health plays in, like all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, so
0: interesting. Yeah. And I would say that, I mean, after my mom died, like I finally, I regret this not doing this sooner, but I didn't read my mom's book until after she died. Mm. Part of that was because she wouldn't let me. <laughs> um, and so then she died, and I was like, well, screw you. Well, I'm going I'm to read, <laughs> yes. read it now. Yeah. And then I remember like reading it, and I remember my mom had always told me, like, I knew my mom was an alcoholic because she mm. was an AA. So that mm-hmm. was like not a secret, but right. she'd always told me, like, I never did drugs. And mm. then I read my mom's book, and I was like, Lies! Wait a minute! Lies! It's literally printed right in here. It's like, so whole, so like all over. What? What
1: do I do? Yeah, you had
0: sex outside of marriage. <laughs> oh my gosh! My mother! Who were you? I know. Who are you? Um and, but I would say, like, after I read her book, and then um, you know, I really started to see her as this whole person. And then and mm-hmm. then as I have been writing my book and mm-hmm. have been reading my mom's journals, yeah. Who, and I'll wow. tell you, I mean, that's wow. beautiful in a beautiful way, like been able to really see the insight as to who she was right. as the person, as the human, as as yeah. the woman um, and and all of the different circumstances in her life that led her to where she was. Um, mm-hmm. Man, it's such an important conversation, probably one we can do an oh, entire yeah. separate podcast Absolutely. episode on. <laughs> um, well, I know we are running out of time. Um, but before we go um, to one more question yeah. um, before we really wrap up, and that's um, I know that this is, again, that there's a lot to this, um, but for somebody who is really just dipping their Mm -hmm. toes in the water of Mm -hmm. really identifying, okay, you know what? I have some, there's some baggage there. Mm -hmm. How do I see the baggage is good? How Mm do I, how do I discard the -hmm. bad? What are some of the tools or strategies that you might recommend to begin other than obviously reading your book?
1: No. Yeah. So I think one of the most helpful kind of first steps that people can take outside of, you know, talking with a counselor outside of reading any books outside of any of those things is really beginning to ask themselves and and spend some time reflecting on what are the pain points in your life? Like, where do you consistently experience the most pain, whether that's in relationships or in um, this desire for meaning that you don't feel like you're able to find Mm. or the desire for purpose or um, broken relationships that happen over and over again? Because all of those things are the places where the pain that we've buried is poking through the surface. Right. And it's kind of like when you go to pull up a weed, you know, and you pull it up and the root comes up with it, you've got to start with what's above the surface and understand that is not the root issue, that is the symptom of something. And so following that pain down to a point where you can begin to put a finger on why I've felt this for so long, why Mm -hmm. is this ongoing? What does this go back to? And then at that point, beginning to say, okay, burying this has not worked for me. The only option is for me to dig this up and deal with it. That's the only way we're going to actually make progress. Um, And in that process, you'll discover that, man, there are some things that this taught me. And um, the work that I did to get free from this pain, I can use that to address other pain in my life. And you Mm -hmm. begin to see, okay, there is good stuff in Mm -hmm. here that I can pull out. I just have to do the work and not be afraid of of the pain that that may come as a part of that, too.
0: Yeah. And as someone who lives on a farm with a lot of weeds, (laughs) let me just say that sometimes the weeds you are trying to pull up involve like you can't just take a weed whacker no. like you've got to get, you get a shovel or a hoe and yep. you got to like really there, chip away at get that, the roots. That, yep. that roots because there are some of those weeds that are just some real buggers That's that right. are just not going to come up and yep. or if or you could be like my husband and just resign yourself to winter when they all die off Um <laughs> so he is, he came in the house a couple weeks ago and I just everything just is covered in weeds right now and he's yeah. like I've surrendered I've surrendered I give weeds, up. You win. Weeds. You win. So, but don't let that be your emotional no, baggage. No, no, you no. get those weeds. You get in there with you, that
1: shovel. You no, know, weeds on the farm <laughs> is not going to ruin yeah. your relationships.
0: No. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, how can people connect with you? Obviously yeah. um, for everybody, uh, go get this book. It's out mm-hmm. now. Um, mm-hmm. Good baggage. How your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships by Ike yeah. Miller. Yeah. How can they connect with you?
1: Um, Instagram at Ike F. Miller is a great spot IkeMiller.com um, I've also done a podcast a, f- a mini series of conversations yes. the, the Good Baggage Podcast and a lot of the things that we've talked about on here I go into a lot of detail in those conversations so yeah
0: yeah it it's there. so good I've been listening to it I'm Thank not you. done with it yet um, but your conversations with Derwin Gray yeah. with Lisa Whittle yeah. um, so good she really diving into kind of the Romans 828 mm-hmm. thing um, mm-hmm. so good uh, yeah so he he dives deep into that uh, I hear your production company is pretty cool too yes yes uh, <laughs>
1: You guys have been amazing. Third Wheel Media has just done an awesome job with the audio. Oh my gosh. Things, so. This
0: has been so much fun. Thanks so much for being yeah, here, of Ike. Of
1: course. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I love Ike so much. What an incredible guy. Such a great conversation. I hope that you loved it. I would love to know what you learned or how this particular conversation inspired or impacted you. Would you let us know on social media? You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, would you head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to and click that subscribe or follow button? Clicking that button helps me to know what you're liking and how this show is impacting you. Thanks, as always, for your support. Thanks to the team at Third Wheel Media. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.